Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends and neighbors. Good to see you all again, and welcome to this week's Roundtable. Uh, and what a week it was. Another week full of Groundhog Days. Every day, the same day, the same news from the same parallel universes. In one universe, the president-elect proceeding as much as possible with the transition, making plans, announcing members of the new administration. In the other universe, the current president refusing to admit he lost, blocking the transition, and still doing everything he can to reverse the results of the election, even though Biden beat him by over six million votes. The question is no longer, will Donald Trump ever concede, but will he ever leave the White House, or will he have to be dragged out by U.S. Marshals? Here today, joining us to try to make some sense of it all from Mother Jones, Pema Levy, political reporter. Hello, Pema. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here. From BuzzFeed News, political reporter Addie Baird. Hello, Addie. Hi, Bill. And, and welcome back. And national political reporter for Huffington Post, Igor Babish. Hello, Igor. Hey, Bill. All right, here we go. So, um... At 7.19 this morning, my phone pinged, as maybe yours did too, with a tweet from Donald Trump, quote, unquote, the election was a hoax. This, he says, even though 157 million Americans voted, at this point, Joe Biden has 79.6 million votes, or 51% of the total, Donald Trump 73.7 million votes, or 47% of the total Addie Baird, this election was a hoax based on what? Absolutely nothing. There is no evidence to back up the claims that the president and his allies have made that there was voter fraud, um, that there was any sort of um, untoward, uh, you know, I can't even quite think of the words at this point because it's like it, it is all a lie and it is really dangerous. And, and you know, the answer to your question is <laughs> what makes us a hoax? Absolutely nothing. The, there was um, some really interesting reporting, um, I believe, just last week or maybe this week. Who knows at this point um, that this was the like a very secure election that there was no evidence of um you know intervention in machines um and you know the fact of the matter is he lost and he cannot fathom that well that report actually was a report from the uh, intelligence community right overseeing and the the man who has since been fired <laughs> yes, uh, yes overseeing the election who said this was a uh, uh, Pema, in fact, uh, the most secure election in United States history. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the ironies, although it was a completely predictable, is that, you know, Trump sort of raged about mail-in voting for months. 
you know, talking about how this was all just a fraud and now, you know, his legal team, I'm almost putting legal in scare quotes here, uh, you know, Giuliani going around saying, you know, the mail-in ballots are all fraud. Well, actually, they're incredibly secure, <laughs> right? So when you have people voting by mail, uh, you have a very secure uh, election. You know, the opportunity to tamper with things like voting machines goes down significantly. Um, you know, unlike four years ago, where there was real fear about Russian interference, you have an election that was run very securely by local professionals around the country, and the interference was coming from the White House. Yeah, domestic interference and not foreign interference. Absolutely, right? yeah. I mean, you know, yep. the messaging, you know, everything they're attempting to do now, which is literally overturn the election, uh, all of that is dangerous election interference, uh, but it's all coming uh, from the White House and from the Republican Party, uh, you know, they're <laughs> literally from right. RNC headquarters, right? Uh, and and it's really it's really dangerous, and it and it is um, as Eddie said, you know, and it is inter interference, um, and it is something we need to be taking seriously. Um, but the actual structure of this election was uh, incredibly sound. So, Igor, uh, we all wanted to know, okay, what's the case? What's the evidence? Well, yesterday, the president's legal team, led by uh, Master Attorney Rudy Giuliani. Uh, held this 90-minute news conference at RNC headquarters, as Pema indicated, where they laid out their case, uh, they laid out their body of evidence. Donald Trump tweeted ahead of time, be sure to watch this news conference because this is going to tell the whole story. And we heard from Rudy's uh, deputy, uh, in this case, uh, attorney Sidney Powell, um, this is how it all started. This is what's behind all of this voter fraud. Here she is, a little long, but she makes a, her case. Uncovering more by the day is the massive influence of communist money through Venezuela, Cuba, and likely China in the interference with our elections here in the United States. The Dominion voting systems, the Smartmatic technology software, were created in Venezuela at the direction of Hugo Chavez. We have one very strong witness who has explained how it all works. It is a stunning, detailed affidavit because he was with Hugo Chavez while the, he was being briefed on how it worked. He was with Hugo Chavez when he saw it operate. And as soon as he saw the multiple states shut down the voting at the, on the night of the election, he knew the same thing was happening here, that that was what had gone on. Uh, Igor, maybe we should point out that Hugo Chavez died in 2013. But uh, beyond, beyond that, um, <laughs> <laughs> What do you think of this evidence, Igor? <laughs> um, I think the only the only evidence that Rudy Giuliani presented yesterday was that his his brain is literally melting down. And when I say literally, <laughs> he, he had he had this stream of black liquid. I don't even know what it, what it was, just streaming down his face. Uh, was hair dye. There was a really good time story that was sort of investigating whether it was hair dye, um, where the reporter <laughs> called a bunch of hairstylists and was like, is it possible that this is hair dye? And a lot of them said it's only possible if it's like really temporary spray on hairspray, but it was probably mascara that Rudy put in his sideburns to make them match his hair. <laughs> oh, my God. Just utterly, utterly ridiculous. And I mean, aside from the, the visuals. And how how insane this press conference was! You you had 
you know, Republican members of Congress also just shaking their heads. Uh, ben Sass issued, issued a statement last night, Senator from Nebraska, saying, saying this is this is insane. You know, Trump clearly lost Michigan by over 100,000 votes. They pre- prevented they presented no evidence of fraud and he should really knock this out. I mean, saying that Hugo Chavez <laughs> working with communists in uh, Venezuela, China, and Cuba uh, actually uh, sent their voting machines, basically, or their technology to the United States. I mean, it's sort of like saying green men from Mars, right, <laughs> came here on a flying saucer and did it. It has, has much credibility. Oh, by the way, and George Soros is the one who put up all the money for it, of course, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's like you, you you know, it was a real reenactment in real life of, like, Trump's Twitter mentions, essentially. Yeah. Um, and then, um, wherever we are here, Addie, <laughs> let me get back to, back to your lost track. Uh, so then Sidney Powell goes last night on Lou Dobbs, right? And she says, here's what's got to happen. The entire election, frankly, in all the swing states should be overturned, and the legislatures should make sure that the electors are selected for Trump, and it's going to have to follow the constitutional provisions that it go be decided according to the amendment. So we have to follow the Constitution and overturn the election. That's what she's saying, Eddie. I mean... I didn't, I I hadn't heard that clip until this moment. And I honestly am just like, I am, I am speechless. I am without speech. (laughs) Overturning, overturning the election in these swing states is like the most insane thing I've ever heard. I don't even quite know what to say about it. It is, again, I think one thing that is important for people to remember, Georgia counted every single vote by hand and nothing changed. Right. Yeah, Pema, we saw yesterday, in fact, Georgia announced the recounts over, and um, but Trump picked up about 1,800 votes or something, but didn't change the outcome. Um, and also, at the same time, in Georgia and Pennsylvania and Arizona, judges, including a Trump-appointed judge in Georgia, threw out um, three lawsuits filed by the Trump team. So... Um, what she's saying flies in the face of how they're doing in the courts, right, Pema? Yeah, I actually, I have to say, I really love Addie's sort of being flabbergasted at how blatant <laughs> this is. I, I really, I really do. I think we all need to be that shocked, even though I think, you know, what the Trump, what Trump himself and what his people have always done, which is so hard, you know, for us in the press to fathom, is that they always do their crimes in the open, right? So when she's just <laughs> saying, like, yeah, we don't have the cases, the courts keep throwing it out, I guess we're just going to have to do this through, you know, a straight-up hijacking, they're not, they're they're being serious. They're telling you exactly what they're going to do, uh, you know, the same way that Trump has always just sort of announced his crimes on Twitter. Uh, this is... This is how they operate, and they're they're deadly serious about this. I mean, it's it's insane, <laughs> um, for sure, and and but it's it's true that right, like they had their cases thrown out in Michigan, they had them thrown out in Arizona, they had them thrown out in Georgia. Um, they're I think currently like one in twenty nine of any success here uh, in terms of these legal battles. So that is clearly not the path forward. Um, you know, the actual path forward is something 
even more sinister. Uh, and, and that is simply overturning the will of the people. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, they've in fact lost over two dozen lawsuits, lost them, right? In, in, <laughs> yes. every, in front of judges in, in just about every battleground state. Uh, Igor, I want to ask you whether there's something else going on here too, which is like one thing Rudy Giuliani said yesterday was, if we just threw out Wayne County, Donald Trump would have won Michigan. Well, it's <laughs> like saying, you know, without the Alps, Switzerland would not be quite as exciting. You can't quite throw them out. But, um, it, it, you know, Wayne County is Detroit, and we know Detroit is heavy African-American population and voting population. They also want to invalidate the ballots in Philadelphia, which is also a heavy African-American population. I mean, this is one could say this is a blatant, outright racist effort and plan on Donald Trump's part. That's not going too far, is it? No, I don't. I don't think so at all. There's no other way to look at it. They absolutely want to throw out. Rudy Giuliani argued for throwing out 675,000. 675,000 votes from Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, right. you know, majority black communities. It's just stunning that, that that they're even making this argument. And what's frankly even more shocking to me is the fact that more Republicans aren't standing up and saying this is wrong. I mean, you had Mitt Romney last night issue the most sharply worded statement about Trump, you know, calling him calling what he's doing right now undemocratic, the most undem undemocratic thing an American president has done. Um, but he, as so many times before, he's the only one who's standing up and saying something. And I don't, there's, nobody seems to be following his lead. Uh, we have not heard anybody else say anything to that effect. Right. Uh, you mentioned Ben Sass also was critical yesterday. You, you mentioned him earlier, but aside from the two of them, uh, everybody else is going along with this. Um, well, he's got a right to challenge every vote, right? He has to make sure, right, that this was a, a fair and free election from Mitch McConnell to Kevin McCarthy on. Uh, Addy, how long does that go on? How long do they stick with this guy when it's clear he hasn't won? Well, as of now, what they have been saying is that we can't know, even though we can absolutely know um, the real outcome of the election until the Electoral College has officially been certified. So that is in um, mid-December, I believe. And so right now, that's kind of the timeline they're setting up for themselves um, is that that December timeline. Of course, I don't think that um, they are going to actually, you know, certify the Electoral College results in Mitch McConnell. And Kevin McCarthy are going to be like, oh, my goodness, well, President-elect Biden, it's so exciting to have you here. Um, mm. I certainly think that there is kind of a um, – there's a devotion to this president that isn't going anywhere anytime soon. I think even when Biden is certified as the official winner of this election, as he definitely will be, even when he moves into the White House, the devotion to this president isn't going away when Trump is out of the White House. There has been talk about him running in 2024, and the base that he has cultivated is so much like these Republican politicians, devoted to him. And because of that, a lot of these 
high-level Republican politicians have this, you know, dedication to Trump because they don't want to lose his base. And mm-hmm. they are concerned that they could lose it um, and lose their seats even when Trump is out of the White House. Right. Uh, so, Pam, I want to, and the rest of you, I want to focus now on something that's happening today, uh, a meeting at the White House with Michigan state officials. So before we get to that, the background, of course, is that this Michigan, the board, uh, elections board in uh, Wayne County, uh, met the other night uh, to certify the election results. Uh, and at first they split the two Republican members voted uh, against certification. They got so much feedback right away that they switched their, changed their vote and the election was certified. Um, uh, Debbie Dingell and Rashida Tlaib, the, the two members of Congress from uh, Michigan, Democratic members, heard about this vote. They immediately put out word to people to join this meeting by Zoom, which they hundreds of people did, uh, which resulted in the pressure to turn around that vote. And one of the Democratic members of the board during that Zoom meeting, um, uh, one of the ones who voted to certify, uh, laid out in very stark terms exactly what these two Republican members were doing, at least originally. Uh, Here he is, again, a little long, but I think worth listening to. You talked about not certifying Detroit, even though you acknowledged that Livonia, a city, by the way, I know you know is 95% white, had bigger variances than Detroit, which is 80% black. The stain of racism that you covered yourself in is going to follow you throughout history. Your grandchildren are going to think of you like Bull Connor or George Wallace. Monica Palmer and William Hartman will forever be known as two racists who disenfranchised hundreds of thousands of black voters in the city of Detroit because they were ordered to. Probably, I know, Monica, you think Q told you to do it or some other crazy stuff. But just know when you try to sleep tonight that millions of people around the world now on Twitter know the name Monica Palmer and William Hartman as two people completely racist and without an understanding of what integrity means or a shred of human decency. Pema, bingo, huh? (laughs) Yeah, it was really really powerful, you know, and along with all of the testimony from from people who showed up to that Zoom and pushed for democracy to actually work. Um, Of course, the coda to this story is that, you know, these two people, uh, Palmer and Hartman, did flip their votes. They certified Mm -hmm. the canvas. And then Donald Trump called them that night. Called them. He personally called both of them that night, right? Yes, exactly. And then they tried to flip their votes. Uh, I don't, it doesn't seem like legally possible to sort of like withdraw your um, certification, but that's what they are trying to do. And that's what the Trump campaign claims has happened is that in fact, you know, Wayne County has not been certified. Uh, and and then, of course, on top of that, now you have these um, Republican leaders in the Michigan legislature flying out to Washington today. Uh, I do think it's a reflection, at least on the part of the legislature. I mean, I think that these two local canvas board members are, are pretty cuckoo. <laughs> I think that's what you have going on there. Uh, initially, I think on the part of the Michigan uh, leaders in the um, in the legislature there, you have people who have been saying for a long time, like, the voters will choose you know, the winner of Michigan, we're not going to intervene. And now they're taking this meeting in Washington. And I think that really speaks to the way in which 
Trump has really impressed upon his base uh, and upon Republican voters the fact um, or the alleged fake fact that this whole election was a fraud and that he really won. And so I think that there's a lot of base pressure now to show up. And I I just want to add to that, which is that, you know, Trump has a lot of sway, but Republicans also let him get away with this, right? Mm -hmm. Republicans could have all said, nope, that's not a thing. They could have all gone on Fox News and they could have said that. They could have gone on their talk radio shows and said, I love Donald Trump. I wish he had won. It was really close. We did our best, but he didn't. Uh, But they didn't do that. So, you know, yeah, Trump has his base and it's a powerful one, uh, but they also let they let this happen. Uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And Igor, you made that same point earlier. But I want to come. So I want to come back, Igor, to this meeting at the White House today. Uh, let's let's on the surface. What's happening is the president of the United States is inviting state officials from Michigan into the White House to discuss how to overturn the legitimate election and the and the voice and the choice of the people of Michigan in this election. Why? I mean, Lawrence Tribe, the great professor from Harvard, is in the New York Times quoted today saying, this is an illegal meeting. This is a meeting to overthrow the United States government. I mean, it's, it's, it's treasonous, isn't it? It's, we've certainly seen nothing like it. It's also just very unusual because, you know, I can't remember the last time or a single time a president invited two state legislature officials into the White House for a meeting like this. Um, oh, it's certainly know. never happened to overturn yeah. an election. Oh, yeah, that's overtly their mission. That's the purpose of the meeting. Yep. I, 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 I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't know how how people can the, it, how the Republicans back again in the Congress can can see this and see what he's doing and not at some point say, wait, OK, you've gone too far. This is over the line. Um, but apparently there's nothing over the line for them. Before we take a break, let me just ask, I'll just throw it out there. If any one of you want to speculate about what the hell is Donald Trump really up to? Does Why is he doing this? Does he really believe that he won? Or is he just trying to, as, as some people have speculated, pay the Democrats back for the Mueller investigation? What? I mean, I'll let each I of think, you speculate. I, <laughs> I'll, I'll start us off. Yeah, I'll start. I'm happy to start the speculation, the wild speculation here. Um, of course, I am not a psychologist. We cannot diagnose him. But Trump is a narcissist. We have seen it so many times over and over. And I think my speculation is he is incapable of recognizing that he has lost and that he is grasping at straws here to to not have to, like, confront that reality. Yeah. Um, What's your take, Pema? Why is he doing this? I mean, he doesn't want to leave office. He doesn't want to be a loser. He hates losers. And... And he also, he, there's a lot of, you know, criminal cases that might come at him and a lot of debts he has to pay if he leaves office. So I think there's, you know, some serious, you know, mm-hmm. financial and legal interest in remaining in office. Look, on the, on the day of, you know, when his advisors are saying this isn't looking good, does he really think he's still one? I don't know. But I certainly think at this point he's decided to go, hey, I'm just going to go all in with this coup. And uh, I think it might work. So I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to coup as long as I can. Uh, any insights, Igor? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I agree with with 
both points that were made. And I, I would just add that, you know, in the background, as all of this has been swirling, you have the Trump campaign basically bombarding supporters with fundraising appeals. Oh, yeah. You know, defend, oh. defend the president, you know, uh, fight, fight against the quote unquote stolen election. And all, all this money is going into a brand new uh, PAC, you know, a political action committee that is raising funds for whatever he wants to do next. So I think that's kind of part of the story here mm -hmm. is he's trying to build build influence in, in the years to come. Good. And I will uh, throw in my own two cents, which uh, Pema uh, alluded to, too, is I think a good portion of it is that um, he knows that staying in the White House may be the only way he can stay out of prison because he's got so many lawsuits uh, pending against him, both federal and in New York. Uh, at any rate, let's take a quick break and then talk about the man of the hour, the president-elect, whom we're perhaps not talking enough about. It is the Bill Press Pod and today's roundtable with uh, Igor Babish from Huffington Post, uh, Addie Baird from BuzzFeed, and Pema Levy from Mother Jones. And today's podcast, today's roundtable, brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the 1.4 million members of the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa, the largest and the most diverse of all America's labor unions. So think of them as truck drivers. They are a lot more than that, too, representing vegetable workers in California, brewery workers in St. Louis, bakers up in Maine, and a whole lot more. Uh, we salute the members of the Teamsters Union, thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod, direct you to their website, at teamster.org. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with today's roundtable with Addie Baird, Pema Levy, and Igor Babich. Pema, um, Joe Biden on the transition uh, from Wilmington, Delaware, for the most part. Um, How do you think it's going? I think it's going uh, as best as they can go without actually having the critical access that they need to uh, federal agencies and officials and and classified information <laughs> um, that is being withheld from them currently by the um, administrator of the General Services Administration, Emily right. Murphy. So, uh, you know, given that <clears throat> hindrance, uh, they seem to be doing pretty well. They're doing their best to move ahead on planning. Um, for how to deal with the coronavirus, um, which is clearly key to the economy and, and, and health and so much more. Um, there are vaccines on the horizon, hallelujah. And so, you know, I think they're they're doing their best um, with a, a good team of scientists to try and plan how to make that, um, you know, move forward as, as best as possible. Again, it would really help them if they had access to what this administration was planning on that front. Um, you know, and yeah, I think, you know, they're meeting, you know, they met with, with governors yesterday uh, to talk about, you know, a slew of issues. Uh, I think they're moving forward as as best they can. Um, but I do think that, you know, again, it, we want to talk about Biden and not have to talk about Trump here. But, you know, there's real damage uh, being done every day by the fact that this administration um, is refusing to concede. Right. And Igor, we have seen some of um, some appointments at the White House staff level, at least, right, with Chief of Staff Ron Klain, uh, Steve Ricchetti, uh, Mike Donilon, um, and um, his political campaign manager, I'm blanking on her name right away, I'm sorry, to be uh, a senior advisor in, in the White House. Um, what does Gen- that tell Jenna Malley. Sorry, thank you, Jenna Malley. What does that tell us about... Um, what the Obama White House, or the Biden White House, rather, is going to look like. Is it, yeah, is it going to look like the Obama White House? <laughs> I think that Freudian slip accurately captured what's happening. No, I think it's, you know, there are a lot of non-controversial picks, um, longtime aides that have been around him that really few people found issues with. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what you did see was the fact that none of his senior aides or advisors are, uh, you know, son-in-law or daughter or uh, people <laughs> like that. Uh, some progressives have objected to some of his picks. You know, Cedric Richmond, congressman from uh, New Orleans. Uh, I should think, have mentioned him, right? He's going to yeah. be so, he he's going to have some kind of role interacting with the states and cities. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, basically, their their point is that he's been too close to the oil and gas industry. Um, so you know, not much pushback. But these are these are his most non controversial picks. The biggest test is going to come with the upcoming Treasury cabinet pick that he said yesterday he's going to announce by Thanksgiving. Right, and that'll be that'll be a true test of you know how how the left sees where he's going. And, and Addie, that gets to the test of whether uh, Joe Biden will be able to get anything done with, for the time being, at least, uh, Georgia pending, uh, still a Republican-controlled Congress, starting with confirmation of his cabinet members, right? I mean, so here's a senior guy who's in, what, how many years in the, in, in the United States Senate? 45 years or something, right? But um, can he... Will Republicans work together with him? No, 
Um, and I think that we shouldn't kid ourselves. And I think that the president-elect shouldn't kid himself. Republicans will not work with him. And I, I do think your point you're about the Georgia— Is that what you're hearing on the Hill? That's what I you're mean, hearing on the Hill. But, <laughs> this yeah. is, I think, what we've heard for so long. I remember during um, the impeachment trial, which feels like a thousand years ago, but it was this year, um, I started to ask Republicans, do you believe that you can work with Joe Biden, um, and, you know, given that— you have completely, you know, torn apart his son during this trial. Do you believe that there's a way for you guys to come together? And a lot of the answers were, were, you know, well, of course, I would be happy to work with the president if he did everything that I wanted him to do, mm. which he's not going to do. And and your point about the um, the Georgia Senate races, I think, is a very important one because without control of the Senate. We really are back in the Obama era. It is going to be governing by conflict, governing by executive order. And I think it's a huge blow for kind of what Igor was talking about, of how progressives are able to push this president, because without Senate control, progressives will not be able to push their policies um, in the way that they had hoped to. And it is a real impediment to, uh, you know, the Biden agenda and, and the hopes that many on the left had to pull that agenda even further. Well, yeah, what, uh, Igor, you mentioned that, uh, the tension, if you will, between progressives and moderates in the Democratic caucus, and, and Abby, you just mentioned it. Abby, you just mentioned it too. Uh, so, Pema, is this overblown? I mean, I know some people are saying progressives feel, all right, we held our fire during the election. We supported Joe Biden, even though he's not as far left as we want. But now that he's in there, man, we really want, you know, we want, this is our time, right? We want our people in these key slots and we want our policy, him to adopt our policies. Is this for real or is this kind of overblown? Yeah, I think that that, you know, sort of remains to be seen. I think that certainly, you know, Democratic infighting is a perennial story that is, you know, easy to cover. And I think clearly there was some anger over the results of the election, um, Democrats losing seats in the House um, and failing to win some Senate seats. Uh, and, you know, the people who lost these uh, House seats were mod more moderate Democrats. Um, and so I think that there's some Mm -hmm. anger there that is is certainly real. Um, you know, how much that is going to continue after a, a period of, of of really a lot of cohesion uh, uh, within the Democratic Party, I think still remains to be seen. And I think that, you know, Addy is 100% right that, you know, progressives who were hoping that Biden would sign a Green New Deal uh, probably aren't going to see that now because they're probably, unless... Um, you know, unless Democrats win two seats in Georgia, it's going to be very hard to get that legislation to his desk. Um, but I do think that that makes it the appointments all the more important, right? Because it means mm -hmm. that so much is going to be happening through the federal agencies and so much is going to be happening through executive action, which means that you really do want to surround Biden with progressive people if that's your goal. And you really do want to make sure that there are you know, people with power in these agencies who can push um, for not just, you know, <laughs> moderate rollbacks of what Trump did, but really aggressive, you know, uh, 180 turns here um, in terms of policy. And so, you know, it makes it makes that federal infrastructure that much more important.
Right. Uh, so, Igor, we don't want, before we get off to our favorite stories of the week, can't leave the week without talking about maybe the most important political event of the week, as, as yet unmentioned in this podcast, and that is on November 17, former President Barack Obama unveiled, published the first volume of his memoir, A Promised Land, which sold about 890,000 copies on day one. A new record. Have you bought it? Have you read it? I have not yet, but I have uh, read through some excerpts. It uh, it seems to be covering a lot of ground, especially from early on his administration, his interactions with you know McConnell and Republicans and what he thought, and then just you know weighing in on on the routine um, uh, issues of being president, like the pens at some sort of political conference that he attended, and his, all his little observations. So it seems like a good read. Yeah, uh, I was impressed that he. First of all, I I thought that he would come nowhere close to Michelle Obama's book sales. He actually sold more than maybe a hundred thousand more than she did on day one. Uh, and I'm also, I was also surprised by how much media he's doing. You know, he was on Stephen Colbert this week. He was on Terry Gross yesterday. So he's making, he's making the rounds. I, I was told that there's a certain hotel in Washington where they had uh, taken over an entire floor of a hotel here and uh, these various media outlets were set up in different rooms, and he would just go from room to room and do his do his interviews this week. So sounds it sounds like uh, what they do in Hollywood, I would say. <laughs> Anyhow, he is working at it, uh, and you guys are working at it every day. We appreciate again your being with us, and thank you, Eddie Baird, Pamela Levy, and Igor Bombish. But before you go, uh, something this week having to do with politics or not caught your attention. We call it our favorite stories of the week. Uh, Pema, start us off. What uh, stopped you in your tracks? Oh, man, I was hoping you wouldn't start with me. So I, (laughs) no, it's fine. Um, I have scoured the internet for something that is cute or funny, Uh, and I haven't found anything. So I'm hoping that you guys did. (laughs) You can prove that I am not the the reporter that I should be, because when it comes to finding a sweet story, I am at a complete loss. Um, So what I decided I would do is I would just tell everyone for Thanksgiving, if you haven't already, watch The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. It is truly delightful. Uh, It has nothing to do with politics, except maybe a little bit of Cold War competition. But um, it's really lovely. And it diverted me this past weekend. So I would, that's my, that's my uh, quote unquote story of the week. And this is again, what are we supposed to watch? The- it's called The Queen's Gambit. It's the a Gambit. Oh. miniseries on Netflix about a chess prodigy during the Cold War. Ooh, I thought you were getting into the crown and the fact that Maggie Thatcher and Diana, Princess Diana, appear in the new season of the crown but oh that that'll also... be that'll be next week for me <laughs> igor yeah you uh, say you started to say that's also worth watching oh absolutely yeah just just saw it recently it's really good love it go ahead igor your story um so my favorite story involves um the pope getting ah. into, into some hot water oh yeah week. did he ever <laughs> apparently his instagram uh page liked quote unquote liked a photo of a 
Brazilian model, scantily clad in uh, the schoolgirl outfit. And so now this has roiled the Vatican. They're investigating who could have possibly, you know, liked this this thirst trap of a photo for on Instagram. Um, it's just the most hilarious thing and absolute Vatican story. And uh, probably not the most controversial thing that's happened at the Vatican. <laughs> Definitely uh, not. <laughs> I mean, do we no. do we think it was do we think it was him? Uh, <laughs> Igor, I, I remember when the Pope got Twitter, I would always make myself laugh imagining him like scrolling through Twitter, like looking at all the bad tweets and i feel like that can't possibly happen but it is funny to consider i think yeah. it was one of those conservative cardinals in in the <laughs> in the curia who doesn't like francis and has been trying to undermine him from the very beginning but yeah. at any rate Ooh. i mean the the cherry That's on top theory, though. oh yeah. absolutely I'm, the, cher the cherry on top is the 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 model and her modeling company are now uh, touting her as 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 blessed <laughs> She's probably headed for sainthood. That's right. <laughs> right. Uh, Addie Baird. So I have um, sort of a two-part thing here. My favorite story of the week, which, Pema, I do think that this is very sweet. Um, and, and so I will I will submit this as the sweet story. Dolly Parton partly funded the Moderna COVID vaccine research. Good this for her. icon yes. donated a million dollars to support this research. She is literally going to save us. Um, I love Dolly. I saw a tweet yesterday where somebody said, I'm thinking of a new um, type of government where we all pay taxes to Dolly Parton and we just let her take it from there. And frankly, I think that would be a great country to live in. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I wanted to say was my real favorite, favorite story of the week. Um, my grandmother passed away yesterday and she was 94 oh, years Eddie. old oh. and she was amazing. And it was definitely her time. I'm really happy for her. She was ready to go. And I offered to write her obituary. I figured that was, I'm a journalist. Mm. That's maybe a place that I could help celebrate her. And it turns out that she wrote her own obituary <laughs> before she wow. passed. And it is so iconic. The end of this obituary that she wrote herself is this long paragraph about all the lives that she changed. And much mm. like imagining the Pope scrolling through Twitter, it made me so happy to imagine my grandmother writing this obituary, touting how many lives she changed. And she really did. And I'm so glad that she knows it. So oh. I think that is so cool. And I can't wait to write my own obituary now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the only amazing. way to that's the only way to be safe is to write your own obituary absolutely <laughs> you got it you gotta lock it in and make sure you're remembered how you want to be remembered <laughs> by the way i'm sure all of us uh, would fall into the category i i know i do uh, I have not yet gotten the call from the New York Times uh, from the obituary writer who is writing my obituary <laughs> for the New York Times. <laughs> That's a sign that I think you've really made it when you get that call, right? That you. Uh, Bill's <laughs> like checking his watch. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so my favorite story of the week. Last week, my favorite story was about the swan rescue in New York. Uh, this uh, woman who saw the swan in trouble and and and. 
uh, took it on the subway to an, a bird rescue station in Manhattan. Uh, so I'm going to stick with that bird rescue in New York. My favorite story was the story of Rockefeller. Rockefeller, of course, was the, the solid owl that was discovered on the Rockefeller Christmas tree when they raised it this week in back of Rockefeller Center. And there up in the upper branches of the tree was this, it's the smallest owl um, in the east, on the East Coast, a solid owl. It had, it had made the trek from upstate New York, 170 miles on the back of this truck in the Christmas tree, had not eaten or had anything to drink in three days, but one of the workers spotted this owl and wrapped it up in a sweater and took it to a bird rescue uh, operation in New York. And the owl is doing very fine. They named it Rockefeller. Uh, and the owl is going to be released somewhere out in the wilds uh, near New York City. They're not going to take it all the way back to where they found it. But I thought it was a, uh, a, gr a great story. Uh, and it reminded me of back when we lived in Sacramento and our boys were young we went out in the country and sawed, uh, cut down a Christmas tree, brought it back to our house in Sacramento, and we brought the tree inside the house in the living room, and a mouse jumped out of it and ran under the couch. So no, be careful. that's so scary, Bill. Also, that tree was a sad Christmas tree. That <laughs> oh, was really? a perfect. Oh, did you see pictures of it? No. No. You have got to look. All Everyone listening has to go look because you will laugh so hard. It is the it's, ugliest Christmas tree in no. the entire world. And it's oh. just like, of course it is. Of course we get an ugly tree this year. <laughs> well, no, usually it's a magnificent tree. At Rockefeller exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. But anyhow, I'm, but I'm glad <laughs> uh, that Rockefeller survived this whole ordeal. So, again, Thelma Levy, Eddie Baird, Igor Bobbies, thank you so much, guys. Thank you. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, and we thank all of you for listening as well. And please, in this holiday season, follow the advice of the CDC. Be very, very careful. Don't take any chances. It's really scary out there more than ever. Uh, so stay safe. Stay strong. Uh, and thank you again for joining us on the Bill Press Pod. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.